Welcome to the very first episode of Food Feels and Banana Peels. I'm Laura Pfeiffer, and I'm really excited to finally share my story with you in hopes really that it will help people to understand that, you know, we all go through a lot, whether it's physical, mental, emotional, spiritual, you know, trauma is trauma, and we can all learn from each other. And that is the premise of Food Feels Banana Peels, really giving people a different perspective. In this first season, it's really going to be about showing people who are open to looking at health differently, that health and disease are actually much deeper than the physical body. So in this episode, it is finally time for me to share my story, my journey, and what has brought me to this place and this time and and sharing with you and putting myself out there. This is big for me. Uh, There are a lot of people likely who are listening who know little bits of my story. Some people know big parts of my story, and hopefully there'll be a lot of you who don't know my story at all. And so this will be completely uh, something something different, something new. Uh, it's really important to know that we all go through trauma in our lives, and we all interpret it differently. But that doesn't mean that your trauma or my trauma is is deeper or worse. Really, this is just about sharing what I've been through in hopes that it will help other people to recognize that there are other paths. And for me, it saved my life, Western medicine, allopathic medicine. And then I've also um, worked a lot with holistic practitioners, practices, trainings, those kinds of things. And, And for me, the key to finding my own health physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual has really been to acknowledge the strengths and the weaknesses of both, and then to work with them together in order to construct for me what it is, these practices that help to keep me in balance, aligned, and feeling great in all of my bodies. So my journey begins way back when I was a little girl. I grew up in Thunder Bay, born in Thunder Bay, to a wonderful mom uh, who did her best always to take care of myself. And I have a sister, uh, Jenny, who's two years younger than me. And Jenny and I grew up with um, so much love from my mom and so much disconnect from my dad. So my dad, he's now deceased, um, bipolar and an alcoholic, and his bipolar wasn't controlled because it was so important to him to mask everything with alcohol. So my dad was um, not present for many uh, years of my life. He would come and, and he would go, and little did I know that that would have a very, very big effect on my relationship with myself and my relationship with men. I didn't figure out till much later on, till I started doing some very, very difficult, deep work with myself that 
I didn't value myself because I didn't feel I was good enough. I didn't feel that I was good enough for him, for, you know, this, this man who was supposed to be my dad, who, who would show up, you know, occasionally and, and be there for us every other weekend. And then kind of like just drop us and, and not show up for six months, a year, whatever it was. And it also really affected my my relationship with men because men are really there to teach their daughters how their daughters should be treated by men. And with the absence of my dad, basically it taught me that I needed to cling. I needed to cling to men. So if a man came, I needed to, to hold on to it because you never knew when he was going to go. My father and mother uh, divorced when I was in grade three, so about seven years old. Uh, we had moved to Kitchener by then, and um, we had a, a great friend group and a great community, and everything was okay at that point. And then my mom met then my stepdad, uh, and they were together for about 16 years. And we moved out to Foxborough, uh, Foxborough, Ontario, and I grew up riding dirt bikes and four-wheelers and playing competitive hockey, and it was pretty awesome. I do have to say in hindsight, now that I'm living in Ottawa, in the city, man, um, for years, I have missed that connection with nature that I had when we had all of that property. Growing up, I had a lot of anger, uh, a ton of anger, uh, which a lot of times ended up coming out on the ice, thankfully. I had a lot of disconnect from myself, so I always knew I was different, uh, but I always tried, kind of tried to fit in. So when you when you know you're different, but you try to fit in, like it's it's very, very awkward. So I always had, you know, a close friend, a close friend or two, and, and, and you know, was kind of well-liked well overall, if you will. But I had this really deep-seated anger and, and hatred and, and resentment uh, toward myself. And I carried that all, all through, you know, through grade school and through high school. And, and, and it, it was a lot of anxiety. Um, so anxiety had been present for me since I can, I can remember, um, you know, chronic worrying about things and, and, and taking situations to kind of the maximum in my brain to the point that my, my physiology of my body completely reacted. And I remember getting myself so worked up, usually, usually around um, Christmas times, I would tend to get sick. And interestingly enough, I tended to get sick and a lot of times it was strep throat, had no idea why and, and come to, you know, connect later on and understand the nature of the body from an energetic perspective, the throat is really all about communication and communicating our needs and communicating our truth. And I was definitely raised as probably many of, of you are, if you're in my kind of age group, I'm mid forties now, kids are seen, but not heard. And so when you are raised to not be heard, you put your own needs last. And so that is exactly what I did. Um, I tried to keep the peace a lot. It was very tumultuous at home, tumultuous between my dad showing up, you know, not showing up. There were a lot of court battles and and things that that ensued. And then I had a, you know, I had a father figure and a stepfather, but my stepfather did the best he could, just as my mom did, but he was not emotionally available for us, mostly because his emotional capacity just just wasn't there to what what I needed. 
So this, you know, continued lack of male kind of parental and, um, you know, guardian kind of figures really continued to kind of plague me for, for a really long time. I would get sick kind of, you know, uh, I remember having strep throat one year. I remember having mono one year. And I would play competitive hockey, competitive soccer. I went to the gym like crazy. I thought I ate healthy and looked good to everyone on the outside, but physically, so mentally and emotionally inside, uh, it w- I was definitely quite unstable. I remember kind of being, well, I guess it was when I was finishing dental hygiene in my early 20s. So I, I finished up high school in Belleville did dental assisting in Aurelia, took a year off, worked, decided I wanted to go back and to school and became a hygienist. And so when I was doing dental hygiene, I can remember my anxiety was so overwhelming with all the studies. It was a, it was a very intensive course load. Now they do dental hygiene in three years. I did it in one. Uh, so it was a very intensive course load and a very intensive clinical practicum as well. And that that intensity continued to build. And I was always a perfectionist. So if I did something, I did it to 100%. And if it wasn't 100%, if I didn't achieve 100% or 110%, then I belittled myself like crazy since I was a small child. So I continued to bring that through in into school. I, I graduated with honors in high school, graduated with honors in dental assisting and eventually in hygiene. But where this story is leading is that I remember doing a final clinical practicum and I was so nervous about it, but nervous and anxious. So so anxiety to the point that, you know, I had heart palpitations. My mind was racing 24-7. I was shaking that I had actually, because of an experience with a previous practicum, I had gone to a doctor and asked them for something to to calm me down. So a sedative. So I ended up taking a sedative, taking Ativan to get through my final clinical practicum for dental hygiene, because I did not have the tools at that time to navigate what was going on in my body and my mind. Fast forward, I finished dental hygiene with honors. I moved back home and it wasn't long after that I met what would then be my husband of about 13 years. I met him not long after and kind of did what I thought I needed to do, you know, found a wonderful man. He wasn't from from my area, which was great because I knew I needed to get out of Belleville. And we moved to Hamilton first and then to Burlington, where we settled for the next, I guess, about eight years. We had two wonderful children. I was 24, almost 25, when I gave birth to Jake. And Jake is now 19. He is a phenomenal young man. And my story with Jake really involves the birth of Jake because about a a week before I was to give birth, I became very ill, very ill to the point that I could, you know, I could hardly move. I was vomiting. I remember running a fever and just really severe flu symptoms. And I remember calling the nurse and I've always been one to kind of suck it up, if you will, you know, just kind of move through it. Laura, you're tough. You can, you know, you can move through it. So that's what I did. I called the nurse and said, these are my symptoms. I'm taking some Tylenol. 
And she said, well, if you think you need to come in, then come in. Otherwise, you know, just, you know, monitor your symptoms. So a few days later, I was just kind of going downhill completely. And I remember going to bed that night and my water broke and thankfully it did. So we went to the hospital. I was admitted immediately given an epidural. And then it was 20 hours that I was in labor. I was 20 hours in labor and I was not progressing. And keep in mind, you're trying to give birth while having a very severe flu or what I thought was a very severe flu. So my body was not cooperating. I was not dilating. Nothing was happening. So 20 hours later, they decided that there would be an emergency C-section. The baby was showing distress. We needed to get him out right away. They take me into surgery and my, my husband at the time was able to come in. It was at McMaster Children's Hospital. Thankfully, I was in one of the best hospitals around, especially in Canada, that this could have happened. So when they went in, they, you know, opened me up to remove Jake and there was nothing but disease in there. And I didn't find this out until later. I just, I knew that I was very sick. And and I remember there was not a lot of crying with the baby at all. They took him out and, and he was breathing and he was seven pounds, 14 ounces. So a really good size. I remember my husband at the time kind of looking at me just with like this pale, pale face. And because he actually worked for Hamilton Health Sciences at the time, he was actually able to see behind the curtain, put a curtain up kind of over by your chest so that you can't see what's going on um, down low when when they're removing the baby. I remember him looking at me very, very, very pale face. And, and, and then they, I know they took Jake out very quickly. I think I got to hold him maybe for a moment. And then they took him out very, very quickly. And then I learned that he had gone to neonatal. He was being monitored. And then they sewed me back up. And I, I, I don't remember much after that other than I ended up waking up kind of the next day and, and my husband at the time then began to tell me the severity of the situation in that they have Jake in neonatal. We weren't sure that either of you were going to make it through the night just because of our, our vitals being so low. So they ended up putting us both on very, very strong antibiotics because they had no idea what was going on. But I learned then that what my ex-husband was seeing at the time was the infection in my uterus, in my placenta, all around the baby. Like he was swimming in in green and black, like necrosis, really, really bad. So this had obviously been going on for, for some time. Um, we made it. We ended up, I think about two or three days later, the culture came back and they found out that it was group B strep. And group B strep is something that they test for, I think about 36 weeks when you're pregnant. And my test at that time had come back negative. However, obviously I wasn't negative. They they usually give antibiotics when you're delivering and that they didn't happen. So Jake spent 11 days in neonatal and he was the largest baby there. They were preemies of, you know, two, three pounds. And then there's the seven pound, 14 ounce uh, baby boy. And eventually they told us that there shouldn't be any implications, repercussions, that he should have a strong immune system because he fought so hard. So we um, we were kind of back and forth fortunate to stay of Hamilton House Science that housed us. I was in for seven days. And then those last few, we were at Ronald McDonald House. And 
And it was a slow, a slow recovery, but really, really happy, really, really happy that he and I made it through. And I honestly didn't really think too much of it other than it was kind of a freak thing that rarely happens that, you know, this group B strep becomes that active. And so they, they diagnosed me with diagnosed me with sepsis and sepsis is when as a bloodborne infection and it's an infection that moves through the blood so it moves through all the tissues all the organs everything in the body which is why I was so unbelievably sick so the antibiotics this was the first time in my life that the antibiotics saved my life saved my life saved the life of my son for which I am so very grateful at this point I wasn't into anything um, holistic, uh, health-wise, uh, a lot of postpartum depression, and uh, I was like breastfeeding, and it was it was very very overwhelming. The time having a new baby, being 24 years old, so I started yoga, and yoga was amazing. It it brought me these moments of stillness and peace that I had never had before, um, and without any kind of like medication or anything like that. So I decided to to continue with that. And I continued practicing yoga and, and became more, you know, ritualistic with it a few times a week um, and seeing better and better results. And, and with the postpartum, I ended up soon after going on some medication so that I could keep the, those, you know, depressive behaviors down. I mean, if you have any tendency toward depression, mine was towards seasonal affective disorder every year you know, around November, because it begins to be very, very tough for me. And I have to just kind of pick myself up and keep myself going and get myself outside. And this was really quite severe. So between those depressive tendencies and the anxiety, the anxiety that I had over the sickness over, you know, my Jake's illness and, and my illness and, and all of all of these things just were, were too much. So um, I think that was probably my first round of SSRIs. And then fast forward a few years, I continue to practice yoga, everything is going good. And we decided that we would have uh, another baby. So my daughter Ella came along and Ella came along in 2009. Uh, she's now 14, a beautiful young woman as well. And with her, it was very, very precautious given everything. I believe they gave me antibiotics before I had a scheduled C-section, like there was no taking any chances. So everything went off quite well with Ella, which was great. We decided maybe about 18 months later, that we were finished with Burlington Life. We were we were finished with the kind of the GTA and we needed to scale things down. So we decided to pick up and move ourselves to Ottawa. Best decision that, that we ever made. So we began our life in Ottawa, which is amazing. It has no lots of green space around us and, and wonderful people and friends and, and family uh, that we have here. I should mention that my family are in the States. And so my visits with my family are, you know, whenever we can, a couple times a year, sometimes a little bit more, sometimes a little bit less. So I didn't have that family structure to support me when we were in Burlington. And when we moved here, my husband at the time, his family were here. So we had a little bit more support. So Continue to fast forward, and I 
was still on these SSRIs, on these antidepressant medications, anti-anxiety medications, still practicing yoga. And when I got here, I decided I wanted to do my yoga teacher training. So I did my yoga teacher training, absolutely loved it, brought it deeper inside of me and just kind of my thirst for knowledge really kind of ramped up. So I began teaching, which was great, still working as a dental hygienist part-time and, and you know, had my two, my two young kids and, and life was relatively good. In hindsight, I recognized that I was going through it relatively numb. <laughs> and so we'll fast forward to about 2000 and maybe 14. My ex-husband's uh, father got very, very sick and eventually passed away. And it was a very difficult time for him and a lot of stresses for the family. And it was soon after that. I had known for a while that the relationship was not working out, that I needed to leave. And so that's when kind of the wheels started to turn in, in a separation. It began to bring me a lot deeper into myself and recognize that there were things that I needed to look at because I was part of the demise of that relationship. So by then I had begun um, already doing my certified nutritional practitioner diploma for holistic nutrition. I had been working on that part-time, working as a hygienist, teaching yoga. I had a lot of different kind of balls in the air. And then I had this, this separation that was going on. So, and it was very emotionally, mentally, and even physically draining. So I had a lot of different things that I was navigating at the time and it became, became a lot um, I went into, decided to do some shamanic training, and that would be my first kind of two-year program, something called Earning the Light. You will hear that likely over the course of the podcast because some of the amazing humans who have shared their stories with me are some of the humans I've met in Earning the Light. And Earning the Light was really, it's a shamanic program, indigenous-based medicine, this beautiful healer named Pete Bernard, and he helped me to understand that I was the cause of everything going on in my life. And if I didn't like it, then I needed to, to look at it. I needed to change it. I needed to acknowledge it and then figure out, you know, how I was going to change it. So we did that program, uh, which opened up a lot for me. And then I did another program called Angel Fire, working with the angelic realm, same thing with Pete, that gave me more and more tools. And so I started then not only to have these tools for myself, but I started to use these tools on other people as well and see the amazing results that were happening inside of me and that were being reflected outside of me in that time. We had an amicable separation. You know, we we had a mediator. There, there was no more yelling. I should backtrack for a moment. One of the final straws that was a sign for me that I should leave my previous relationship was when my daughter said to me, I think she was about seven at the time, she said to me, Mom, when I grow up, I don't want to get into a relationship. And I said, why is that, honey? She said, because all you do is fight, fight, fight. And I thought, that's it. I cannot show my daughter that this is a healthy relationship because it wasn't. It wasn't healthy for me. It wasn't healthy for him. It wasn't healthy for the kids. None of this. And I really didn't know what a healthy relationship was because I'd never had one with myself. And I'd never had one with a man. 
after all of this training, I started to utilize it for myself, you know, with the yoga, I changed my nutrition considerably, I recognized that I had all of these uh, nutritional sensitivities and imbalances that were starting to kind of be at bay once I once I removed certain foods, um, I had a very, very, very <laughs> strong connection addiction to chocolate. Chocolate was that food that I would eat in crazy excess any time that I was navigating emotions. And I really didn't know that. And I didn't put that together until I really started to study myself and do the shamanic work that I was actually eating for an emotional need, not because I was hungry. And I remember, you know, I had, would have these giant chocolate bars that I would eat one every two days. I would just stock up on them when I went to the grocery store, those giant bags of chocolate chips that I would eat by the bowlful um, just to stuff down what was going on. So eventually my sensitivity to chocolate was quite high as well. And so I made all these different changes in my life and I really started to feel great. I started to feel really good, uh, continue to work on my self-confidence, got my own place exactly where I wanted on the Trans-Canada Trail, close to nature. I've been very, very lucky and grateful for that. The kids weren't far away. Our relationship was relatively amicable. And fast forward now a couple more years to 2020. So 2020, the pandemic hit. I mean, everything went haywire, including my mind <laughs> and whatever everyone else was navigating. And so as you begin to, to open up to different ways of viewing things, you also begin to kind of open up yourself to feeling more and becoming more and more sensitive. So I, I had done just that. And, and the pandemic really brought up for me, not only remaining anxiety within me, I had been off the medications for, for years, actually, since my separation. But anxiety started to come up uh, for me, like re and fear, just so much fear. And a lot of people were feeling that at the time. So all of this fear coming up, and it was July, the end of July of 2020 where we were in Canada, we're being further and further scaled back, uh, where we were being, you know, limited on where we could go and who we could see and, and, and all of these things, our circles becoming smaller and smaller and smaller. And I didn't have a lot of an outlet for support. Um, I have great girlfriends who are there when they can, but everybody has their own lives. So I was really left a lot, you know, kind of on my own. And I ended up in hindsight, I now know, getting very similar symptoms to what I had when I gave birth to Jake. So I ended up getting very sick and it got progressively worse. And I really thought because COVID was affecting people in such, such different ways that I'd probably picked up COVID. So I didn't want to bombard the hospitals with something that I didn't need to go to the hospital for. I kind of toughed it out yet again. So history replays itself. So I toughed it out. I toughed it out for several days. I got to the point that I was in so much pain, my entire body, like lethargic pain. I, I think it was just water that I could could take down. Sometimes I was even I was even vomiting up uh, my water. I was taking like Advil and Tylenol at four hour intervals. Like it, this was for a few days, and so. I went to bed one night and my mom said to me, listen, Laura, if you're not better tomorrow, because she's in the States, then I want you to call the ambulance and I want you to go to the hospital. 
And I said, okay, mom, let me, you know, let me sleep on him. So I got up in the morning and I was not feeling any better at all. You know, I, I managed to get myself dressed and called the ambulance and the ambulance came. They came and helped me out to the ambulance, got me to the hospital, triaged me through very, very quickly. They, you know, I didn't understand exactly what was going on because I was losing coherence by, by then. And I remember being in, in the hospital and they, you know, started me on IVs. They started me on a bunch of IVs, I think for dehydration definitely was one thing. But another one, I believe they started with, with like antibiotics and antivirals because they had no idea what was going on with me. My vitals were crazy. The first night, they weren't sure if I was going to make it. They had told me my blood pressure, it got down to somewhere like 55 over 44. So it was very, very low. And over the next couple of days, you know, they, they did the same thing. They truly cultured me to, to see, you know, what was the cause of this. Um, they had identified then that my kidneys were shutting down. I had acute renal failure. They recognized that I had toxic shock syndrome. And then they had different specialists coming in, like OBGYN coming in saying, do you have anything, something retained inside of you from like a menstrual time? And there was none of that. You know, they, they couldn't figure out what that was. And we had all this pain on my body, incontinence. Like it was, it was a complete surrender of my entire physical body because I had no control. Um, and so they ended up eventually finding out a few days later, I was in ICU, uh, two to three days later, if I remember correctly, they identified that I also had sepsis from group A strep now. So another streptococcal bacterial infection as well. They had been giving me so many IVs and so many antibiotics, and they had to change them all the time that I was bruised, both my wrists all the way up to my elbows and beyond. They were just looking for places to, in order to get into to my veins. And at one point they had to uh, put a line in and they wanted to put the line in my neck so that they could get a direct the antibiotics direct into the bloodstream and a lot quicker than than my veins that were basically essentially breaking down. I had something also called disseminated intravascular coagulopathy. And my understanding is it's this rare condition that most people don't survive and um, your veins burst. And so clotting issues and, and bursting of veins. So they ended up putting this line, of, they wanted to put it in my neck. And I had had a conversation with my mom that I vaguely remembered. And she said, the only other place that they can put it, Laura, is your leg um, in your groin. So I advocated for myself because no one was there. I was in the hospital by myself, no children. I had no partner. My mom wasn't around. You know, my sister lives in the States and, and nobody was allowed in anyway. You know, everybody's masking and gowning and you don't even really see, see a face or touch a hand. So I advocated for myself and got this line put into my leg. And so it was a couple days later that I began to feel a little bit better. So the fever started to come down, which was a great sign. And they, after about four or five days, five days, I think, in ICU, they moved me into another area where I could recover further. I was just kind of sitting the whole time with all of the fear that was there, the fear that the doctors were telling me, this line needs to go in your neck right now, or you're going to die. Do you understand the magnitude of this? Just having all of that fear that had come up initially with COVID, and now I was by myself, in the hospital, 
fighting for my life, what was I going to do? And this is when I really came to understand how important the mental aspect of our health and our diseases, the mental emotional aspect, I had worked on physical, you know, I was always very physically strong, which is why they say that I came out of this because I was so physically strong, fit, healthy, my body had what it needed to survive this because a lot of people wouldn't survive one of these life-threatening illnesses. But I realized how out of touch I was and how much the mental aspect of what I was thinking was creating what I was feeling in my life. And there's this whole loop that goes on. Our, our thoughts elicit chemical reactions in our body. And then those chemical reactions are this physiological response that causes different reactions in our body. And then it comes back to these thought patterns. And it's it's this whole loop, this whole unhealthy loop that I had been running for so, so long. So while I was in the hospital and I had all of this time, I didn't watch a television show. I remember having like a scene on the television of beach and just like, I want to do that again. I want to be able to walk again. I want to be able to move again. And I, I was having, you know, all this intense pain in my body. And I wasn't, I wasn't sure why they were giving me medication after medication. And, and then the food that they were giving me was like, I knew my body did not thrive on that. So I was eating like a bird because it, it tasted terrible and it felt terrible doing what I needed to do. So about day seven, I said, to the doctor, my fever had gone down. I think it maybe had been 24 hours. And I said to the doctor, I need to go. I need to go home. My ex-husband was absolutely amazing. And he said, you can come back to the house with me and the kids. You can come stay with us. And, you know, until your mom gets here and out of quarantine and all that stuff, and she can take care of you. I had shown that I could get up and I could walk again slowly, <laughs> but surely. I had the IV attached to me for the antibiotics. And I was able to tell the doctor that I am not getting better here. This environment is not serving me. I need to go home. I need to be out of this place. So they let me go. They were understaffed and overburdened. And I, I advocated for my health and I told them I need to go somewhere. You know, I need to go home in order to get better. I was released from the hospital. We continued antibiotics for about 18 days. So I had a pouch. They put a line in my upper arm that I had surgically done before I went home. And, and slowly but surely, I began to recover. I had intense pain in my body, so intense that they were giving me these muscle relaxants, but they weren't even touching it. And I didn't understand. They didn't understand. I had crazy swelling. My good friend told me that she had never, ever seen anything like my legs and my ankles. She put my compression socks on and swelling eventually started to leave. And I eventually started to move again. And I started to do a little bit of yoga and very, very different than the yoga I had been doing prior to this very relaxing yoga and lots of meditation and really focusing on positive outcomes and where I wanted to go. And this was my trajectory because I had seen how it was to have my entire physical body just taken away and how quickly things can change. You just never know. You can live with being depressed and all this anxiety and, and fears and all of these things. A lot of them are irrational. A lot of them are never going to come to fruition unless we keep thinking them and, and we create them. So I really decided that I, that life was a gift. 
And that's what it taught me. It taught me how much of a gift life was and how quickly it could be taken away at 40 and a very, very healthy person. Still, you just absolutely never know. So from then on, I worked at getting better. My mom took care of me. She's absolutely amazing. She's a nurse and she helped me out and helped me through everything. I think she stayed for about a month. And I just continued to be grateful and thankful and make changes. And a lot of those changes stem from the inside. A lot of those changes then also started were navigating all the emotions then that I had over this experience, all the fear that came up, all the, the pain in my body. And I realized how that fear was being held in my sides, in my back, in my kidneys. They, they're an organ that holds fear. And I began to really connect the components of what I was physically feeling to my emotions and my mental state. And it was crazy. It was a crazy revelation for me that my sides aren't hurting because I've stretched them wrong. And my sides are hurting because I've taken those emotions of fear and I've shoved them down so deep inside of me because I didn't want to feel them, which is how I lived a very big part of my life, not feeling things. And it was time for them to come out. And so then the next while was really about processing, about processing and having support from people around me who could help me navigate what I was going through. A lot of very wonderful people in my community stepped up to support and, and to help me. Good friends showed up. And you definitely know who your friends are when you're in need and people come around. That really is the premise of my experience. My experience really was a, a blessing in that it helped me to understand more the gift of life and how we are more than these physical beings. And, and I understood that before, but I didn't have the experience. And I think when you experience something, it changes. It just changes you fundamentally at a very deep level. My outlook on life changed, my perspective on life changed, and my perspective on health and disease changed because now I know that my physical body and my mental body and my emotional body and my spiritual body all need to be in alignment for me to be a complete, whole, balanced being. And so that is my take moving forward is that we really need to recognize that we are not just our physical bodies. And that's how Food Feels Banana Peels came around because I wanted to share my story and I didn't know how I was going to deliver it, but this seems to be the way. And then there are so many amazing people I have lined up to share their experiences with you that bring us to similar outcome. I wanted to also finish off the story by saying that six weeks after I got out of the hospital, I met the most wonderful man of my life, my partner, and we've been together now for three and a half years. And I am in this healthy relationship because of all the work I've done on myself and all the work he's done on himself. And we're able to navigate things, you know, mentally, emotionally, physically, spiritually, all of those things because of the work that we've done on ourselves. So this illness brought me so many amazing gifts. It brought me closer to myself. 
brought me self-love and self-acceptance along with all the other work that I did. And it really helped to change my perspective on health and disease. And I hope that this will resonate for some people, some people maybe who are going through health challenges right now, definitely tune in, listen to the the various people that I speak with who have dealt with everything from cancers to addictions to Lyme is the next episode and so many amazing people sharing their stories in hopes that it will help you to maybe look at things from a different perspective because if we understand that we are more than just physical beings then we also can seek the tools that will help us to find balance in those other bodies the mental body the emotional body and the spiritual body So thank you so much for tuning in and listening today. I really hope that you enjoyed the podcast. There are so many more amazing humans who are going to share their stories with us on the upcoming episodes. I'm really, really grateful for you taking the time to be with me and for this opportunity, opportunity to educate and support and kind of be there and share my story in hopes that it will help others. Uh, So if you enjoyed today's episode, first of all, I hope you tune in. I hope you tune in to the next episodes in this series. I'm going to, as I mentioned, talk to some really, really amazing humans and what they've learned from their health and mental challenges. If you enjoyed the episode, please go to Spotify, give me five stars, go to Apple, give me five stars and a comment, a review. I would greatly appreciate it. This is the way that this podcast can get out to more people. More reviews, more stars helps this podcast to be pushed out to more people. So more people will have the opportunity to listen. And so I'd be really grateful for that. There will be another episode dropping each week on Tuesdays. So keep a lookout for that. Apple and Spotify. Uh, food feels and banana peels. I'm Laura Pfeiffer. I am so grateful for you and this opportunity to share. You can check out more about me, learn about what I do at laurapfeiffer.com. Thanks for joining me today for Food Feels Banana Peels. I hope you enjoyed our chat and I look forward to bringing you more exciting opportunities to learn and grow and shift and change your perspective perhaps to something new and something different. It is an honor always to be here and I would love to hear about what you want to learn more about. Wishing you much love, joy, happiness and health on your journey 